Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and VP of Altius Financial. And I'm Mike Williams, uh, founder of Altius Financial. And today we're going to talk about this uh, new legislation called, interestingly enough, the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, we normally record these uh, midweek, and this is midweek, uh, but we are actually doing a special episode right now just because we want to be timely with this. I think President Biden is signing this new law today. Uh, I'm not sure what time or if he's already signed it, but uh, I say interestingly enough because politicians always have that way of naming their new laws with something that kind of, you know, on the surface, voters are going to say, well, yeah, I can get aboard with that. You know, I'm, uh, I mean, who's going to say something feel good? <laughs> yeah, something feel good and something they can go, yeah, that Biden's working for me uh, or whoever it is in office, right? I mean, with today's cost of living going up, you know, expenses on the rise, who isn't for reducing inflation, right? But first, we should do our little disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No advisor-client relationship is formed by the broadcasting of this episode or your listening of what we say. The use of this information or any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content in this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific financial advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner. Or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, feel free to reach out to us through our website, which is altiusfinancial.com, or contact us directly by email at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. Just so you're aware, that is A-L-T-I-U-S financial.com. Okay, so you said Biden's signing this new law today, but let's do a little update. Didn't we already see inflation numbers coming down? And I've certainly seen a little bit of lower gas prices out here in California. I mean, and I say a little bit. I didn't bit. mean to ask you that. <laughs> I mean, we've seen a little bit in Colorado, but California is insane. So is, it, is the price of gas going down? Yeah, so it it was jumping towards the $7 per gallon range. Good and. Lord. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because um, this week I was going to get gas and I was just driving around, but my car was going down and I thought, okay, it's a good time to fill up. And I looked and I was like, oh, it's it's less than $6. I was like, pull over, load up the car. It's less than $6. So we have seen inflation come down and, and certainly most of that is the price of gasoline or, or energy costs. I mean, inflation yeah. had been reported at 9.1% the month before. And then the most reading, most recent reading is now at 8.5%, still an annualized fairly high number, uh, definitely not quite hitting the double digits. But um, since we're only a few months out from the midterm elections, to me, you know, everything on both sides of the aisle is going to become politicized. You know? So we thought it'd be worthwhile kind of uh, talking about where we're at with inflation versus recession as well as um, this new bill and, and how it might affect people. So my position really hasn't changed that much. It's kind of hard to tell whether we're going to have inflation go a lot higher. It is easing a little bit. Um, or whether we're going to you know, see a big slowdown and go into recession. And again, my theory has been we're, kind of see, we're going to kind of see both. I mean, it's going to be that sort of stagflation of the 1970s that we saw. That's the most... Yeah obvious thing that seems to be occurring from my standpoint. Well, where do we stand on that? Um, we've, 
I, we've seen the real GDP decline in the last, in the first and the second quarter this year. In all my education, that meant okay, first and second quarter means now you're in a recession. And now it seems like the National Bureau of Economic Research is saying, well, it, it's not quite a recession. It, it seems like there's a little bit of both sides now. What is, well, what's your you outlook know, on where we stand? as a? So that, that whole thing of, uh, is it, uh, is it those two in a row quarters of negative GDP growth? Um, or is it, do we have to wait? I mean, Officially, and this is for decades now, we've had this National Bureau of Economic Research who does the official calculation and declaration of whether we're in a recession. And they usually do that. Sometimes they don't even announce until we're actually out of a recession. I mean, sometimes it'll be okay. you know, months later, even potentially a year and a half later, where they're saying, yep, we're in a recession. And that by that time, we're actually starting to recover and being out of it. So they make their announcement uh, after they've done a bunch of calculations and, you know, kind of egg-heady stuff and, and okay. say, yeah, we're officially in, uh, in recession or not. And But traditionally, you're right, the, the two quarters, you know, uh, right in a row of having no growth or negative growth uh, traditionally means that. And, and it's ever since they've been measuring this, that's been an accurate measurement. You know, but the thing is, this last quarter was barely negative. And look, there's there's some good news. Unemployment is coming down some. You know, it dropped uh, 40 basis points so far this year, and payrolls are up an, uh, over an average of 470 thousand per month, which is pretty good job growth. Uh, in, industrial production is up at a 5.2 percent annual clip over the first six months. So that's that's all, all good. You know, it, it's kind of politicized, and that's why we think it's important to. You know, kind of put your personal politics aside and follow the economic facts. So there's both good and bad news. I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, on one hand, the Republicans, the right wing, the conservatives, they're saying, yep, we're in recession and that should hurt, hurt Biden. But there is some good news, right? Well, so does that mean the Republicans and the conservatives are trying to score points on the concept that, well... Hey Biden, this is your fault if we have lower GDP numbers right now. Is are they really trying to say that the whole economy lands in his in his hands? Yeah, and you know that's the thing is your your implicit question is, you know, is it really him um, or Trump or you know Obama or whoever's in office? Is it really the yeah. president who determines whether we have GDP growth or not? And and that's not really true. Um, but their policies do make a difference, and that's partly why we want to talk about this. This new law, because you know that kind of policy can have a, a definite impact. Um, you know, and, and certainly Biden and the Democrats are abusing their own economic reports for their political gain as well. I mean, it's true that consumer price index did slightly go down a little bit in July. You know, the first month without an increase since you know almost you know over two years ago, really. Uh, we've seen inflation gradually get, gaining steam. And for Biden to suggest that, hey, we've got inflation nailed now just because we saw a little bit of easing, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And it's mostly because of energy prices, like you're talking about. Prices, the yeah. pump has gone down. You know, they had gone up so much in June and then they dropped a little bit in July. And so that's really the explanation of why we've seen inflation itself because energy is such a big component of those uh inflation calculations yeah well and do you know like is there something that's causing that drop in july because there's something specific this all kind of happened before this bill release so it's not like he immediately fixed gas prices this week no i mean there is 
There was definitely, and this was controversial, um, Biden, the Biden administration released a bunch of oil from the Strategic Energy Reserve. I don't know if most of our listeners even know what that is. It's basically a long time ago, the federal government said, you know, we, we need to have uh, for national security reasons, we should make sure that we set aside, you know, kind of uh, put a bunch of oil aside and energy resources aside in case of a national emergency or war or something like that. We don't want to be beholden to our enemies because a lot of times we've been, you know, kind of dependent upon the Middle East, which oftentimes they're not our friends. And so we don't want to give them that much power over. So we have a big reserve uh, to, to, you know, handle emergencies. Well, the Biden administration determined this inflation situation was an emergency. That's controversial because most economists think, well, no, inflation itself is not, you know, a national uh, military or strategic uh, issue that way. So it, it's, like I said, controversial that he probably shouldn't have done that. But that's had an easing effect on the price of gas, as well as prices. You know, the solution to high prices is oftentimes high prices. And, you know, you, you get higher prices mean higher production. Uh, and the energy industry has responded to, some to it. Okay. But to think that, you know, seeing the consumer price index drop a little bit in July and think that the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates, I think people are in for a big surprise. I mean, they're, they're definitely not done. Um, you know, if, you, if you think about it, maybe we've peaked at 9.1% inflation. I'd, I'd actually would bet the other way that we haven't seen it peak. But maybe we have. Maybe we'll go from 9.1 to now 8.5 to you know, maybe mid eight, lower 8s or even 7s. But the key is, you know, can you go from 9.1% really down to, you know, 5%, say, sometime next year, or even getting down to the 2% that the Fed typically targets? And even then, I don't even know why they say we should have any inflation. You know, why, why should we have our, our currency, our, our dollars, devalue at 2% per year? Um, I, I think that's ridiculous yeah. that they have a target of 2%. But, but going from 9 to 2%, is going to be difficult. Um, you know, rents, uh, housing prices have eased, but rents are going up still across the country. And uh, it's hard to see when that's going to end. So it could be pretty challenging for the Fed to, to really reach its goal of reducing inflation. That means probably that they'll increase interest rates throughout the rest of this year. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the specifics of this Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. And I don't know how close you've been following it or, or even our listeners. Um, you know, they're, they're, the Biden administration had a, a pretty aggressive, progressive agenda, and um, there was one sticking point in getting that passed. I mean, the, the sticking point is you have basically a 50-50 Senate, you know, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats with uh, Vice President Harris breaking ties, and they just didn't have enough votes to really get some of the massive things they wanted to done because Joe Manchin, the senator from uh, West Virginia and Cinema from Arizona, weren't signing on to this, you know, fairly progressive, uh, I might say, socialistic agenda of Biden's. Well, what happened was uh, Manchin did a bunch of negotiating and, and they got him on board with it and Cinema uh, uh, agreed too. So the House and the Senate passed it. Um, and it was on Biden's desk today. And, it, and it's, I mean, it, it's not good. It's pretty bad news, even though it's not as big as he might have wanted. The Wall Street Journal represents it as a massive misallocation of tax dollars, basically transferring a bunch of, a bunch, trillions of dollars 
from the pharmaceutical industry because of the provision to have Medicare start negotiating with the, the pharmaceutical companies, supposedly to, to reduce drug prices. We've heard that before. Um, but you know, moving money out of the pharmaceutical industry and over to some of the green energy, climate change, industrial complex type companies and, and have, having more subsidies there. Well, so does that mean that then our pharmaceuticals are all going to start jumping up since those aren't being subsidized or? No, they are going to be more subsidized. So okay. what they call it is prescription drug price reform. And okay. you know, most Americans believe, and maybe rightly so, that they pay a lot for drugs. Now, it's partly because most Americans are looking for you know, quick, easy solutions from their doctors and from the pharmaceutical industry. And the pharmaceutical industry delivers. I mean, they, they for the last, you know, 50 years have really delivered on some wonderful life-saving, pain-reducing, you know, not miraculous, but some amazing drugs that help people with their problems, their chronic problems. Yeah. And they spend literally $100 billion a year on research and development. And that research and development is costly, so they pass that through in their prices because America has more of a market system than other countries. Basically, Americans have been uh, subsidizing the world as far as R&D in the pharmaceutical industry. And you know, the Biden administration is saying, well, people have to pay too much for, for the drugs, so we want to we want to allow Medicare to negotiate the price of drugs, bringing down the price. So that, that means potentially pharmaceutical companies will be less profitable Okay. because they're gonna, not going to be able to recoup their dollars, their investment dollars as fast, right? They put a bunch of R&D out there. That ultimately means they'll probably not do as much innovation because it'll be too costly to innovate and they're not profitable enough. So we're not going to have the same kind of uh, dynamism that we have had in the past with regard to uh, biotechnology research. Now, I don't buy that entirely. I think that's definitely true, but there is a lot of great, wonderful research that will continue, um, and there still are some incentives. But it's it's a bad thing to say uh, the government's going to be involved in you know trying to, to subsidize or bring down market prices. Yeah. No, that's again my my perspective is that they shouldn't be doing this, and they shouldn't be shifting money to uh, an industry that really hasn't. Uh, you know, we over the last I don't know thirty forty years, we've had billions of taxpayer dollars that have gone into green energy, mostly subsidies for wind and solar, direct payments, loan guarantees, that kind of thing. And you know, the federal government has been really crappy about picking the winners and who's the right one to subsidize, right? Yeah. And what's our been what's been our return on investment? I mean, you know, wind and solar and green energy still account for less than 7% of all of America's energy uh, production. And it's expensive, right? Now, I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I think alternative energy has potential and they should keep doing research, but that shouldn't be subsidized. I mean, a, a recent uh, University of Texas at Austin study found that uh, these subsidies have actually made, you know, when you look at what, which source of energy is subsidized the most, you, you pay $320 for a megawatt hour of solar energy. Uh, that's that's <laughs> only about, you know, um, 50 some dollars for wind. We still have subsidies for oil and natural gas, but that's like at a buck or two a piece. And then coal, you know, even though it's a lot cleaner now, it's still considered dirty and it still gets subsidized about 50 cents per megawatt hour of coal. So still fossil fuels are, you know, by and large the the area that most people 
have to have, you know, for reliable ongoing energy use uh, that's that's cheap enough for most people to be able to buy it. And now our government's, you know, involved even more so in that industry, trying to say, okay, we're going to move over to these green energy solutions, but it's damned expensive, and that means it's going to probably be more inflationary. Okay, those are two parts of the two parts of the bill. One is, you know, having Medicare uh, do uh, negotiation with pharmaceutical companies to put caps on uh, drug prices, which means it's going to re- reduce their profitability. But then subsidizing more of the climate change industry, you know, numerous investments uh, for climate protection, uh, tax credits investments in clean energy and all that kind of stuff. But there are a couple other things. One is, one's a big one, and I don't know how many people have paid attention to this, but uh, they're going to double the size of the IRS. You know, they, they've been, the IRS has been saying for years that they don't have enough resources to actually collect all the taxes that are, that are due. Um, and this bill invests over $80 billion in the IRS over the next 10 years and doubling the size of the, uh, of the IRS and I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel too comfortable. You know, our clients should you know comply with the law, but pay as little as tax. They're already paying too much taxes, and to have you know I, the IRS going after Middle America in a bigger way isn't isn't uh, my favorite part of the law. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever wants more of the tax collectors. Yeah. And speaking of taxes, they're talking about having a minimum corporate uh, tax rate. So there's been a lot of headlines about big companies who don't pay any taxes, which isn't really true. I mean, there are big companies like Amazon sometimes comes out and, and they're showing that they didn't pay any corporate taxes. But they, it's not really true. They pay a lot of taxes along the way. And then when it gets to their corporate bottom line, they have done all kinds of things like green energy type of things to take advantage of tax credits to reduce their tax bill to supposedly zero. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think the corporate income tax is one of the stupidest income taxes in the world because that, that gets passed on to customers. And one of the worst things about this, I mean, people hear about stock buybacks and, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren has been going on about this for years saying we should tax, uh, companies when they buy back their own stock. You know, we as advisors really kind of like it when companies buy their stock back because that means they think, you know, that their stock is undervalued and, if we're owners or buyers of that stock, and a good example right now, uh, he never used to do this, but Warren Buffett is doing it now and has been doing it for the last couple of years. He never used to buy Berkshire stock back until it hits a certain price. And then he was like, well, it's a bargain right now. So we're <laughs> going to use our cash to buy our own stock back. Um, yeah. And it's just silly that the government is going to get in that business of saying you can't buy your own stock back or we're going to penalize you for that. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you can tell I'm not really is favorable that, about the overall bill. Is the government trying to do that so that p- companies can't go back to being private? Because is it the risk no. of, oh, this company is going to go all the way to private if they buy back their stock? Or is it just they're noticing that, hey, maybe I can find a little bit mon- of money here and, oh, let's I think it's more the latter. That. I mean, I, I, I think – in the end, uh, Congress does like when pub- when companies are public so they can have more influence or regulatory power over them. So that may be part of it. But I think the biggest part here is that they're just trying to say, this is an easy target. I mean, there's been headlines for years about companies who do, quote, financial engineering, right? They do things that most of the public doesn't understand, like issue stock options or, or uh, carried interest calculations or or buying their own stock back. These are things that actually do enhance 
shareholder wealth, oftentimes. Now, that doesn't mean it always works. I mean, companies have yeah. bought their own stock back at way too high a price. You know, Buffett's not likely to do that. He's pretty good about calculating things on, on the value of what uh, Berkshire is worth. Yeah. But um, there's no guarantee that, that a capital allocator or a, a corporate CEO is going to make the best decisions. But that's, that's the risk of being in business is, you know, trying to say, what's the best thing I can do with the cash that I have on right now, on hand right now? Should I pay out in a dividend to the shareholders? Should I go ahead and buy stock back? The, the Congress would like to say, well, we want more taxes, so that we're gonna, we would like to see a payout in dividends so we can get that taxed. Um, yeah. And if they don't, if they're just buying back the stock, that's partly where they're saying, okay, we're going to go after that. And you know, the, the term financial engineering comes up, and, it, and it's basically because the, the American public doesn't really understand how markets work or how corporate finance works and, and how it works for them. So they get vilified by the media and by Congress and they're easy targets. And, and that's a way to, you know, try to say we're going to, you know, make these guys pay their fair share. That, you know, that quote fair share term that, that comes yeah. up all the time. I, I want to I'd like to have somebody, you know, a uh, senator or congressman or whoever it is out there making that comment. I'd like to them to define what fair share is. Yeah. You know, what's a fair share? Well, that's just Go such ahead. a weird concept. I mean, fair share should mean, I mean, fair to me at least means fair, equal. I mean, there's the equal versus equitable. Like, do you get even or do you get your version of what should be even? I think if we all just said, fine, let's make it, let's make it even across the board. Well, but even in dollars, you can't do that, right? Well, I even mean, if you took it even in percentage based on every dollar, if every dollar was taxed at the exact same amount for everyone, but then that would ruin yeah, everyone I think, who's I trying I to do. I actually think most Americans <laughs> would go for that. I think they would. I, um now, there are people who would say, well, we, our government would never raise enough money. Um, yeah. It's not really quite true. I think there's been good calculations that show a flat tax of, say, um, no loopholes, no you know, deductions, none of this you know, social engineering that we do, subsidizing green energy, you know, penalizing uh, pharmaceuticals or whatever it is. None yeah. of that. Just everyone pays a flat uh, I think it's been what I've seen is 15 to 17%. If everyone paid, let's say 17%, everyone paid 17% on every dollar they earn, that'd be relatively, you know, revenue neutral. The government wouldn't, wouldn't even need to shrink, which is horrid in the first place. I mean, it, it needs to shrink a ton because it's such a big part of our economy, uh, yeah. such a big drag on our economy. That's why we don't have massive GDP growth. And that's how we'll ultimately have to solve our debt problems. You know, I'm, I'm going to go off on a rant now that you started. <laughs> well, let me kind of reel you back in. Um, you've kind well, of I want to, listed... I, want to, I, want to, I want to make one one point because, yeah. you know, people ask me, and we and I think we've talked about doing this. Uh, you know, we had a client recently suggest, you know, do a podcast on the national debt. You know, how will it ever be paid back? You know, we're trillions of dollars in debt. How will that ever get paid back? And my answer, and again, we'll do a, a more detailed uh, podcast episode, but the answer is you got to, you got to grow your way out of this, right? You have to grow much faster, which means that like, you know, if you're in hawk up to your ears as a person, you have to increase your income. Yeah. If you're going to pay back your debt, you either go into default or bankruptcy, which is, you know, probably what some people think we'll end up doing is we will just default on, the U.S. will default on its debt. But if you want to be honorable and say, no, we're going to pay back what we owe to people, you have to grow a lot faster. You have to increase your income. And so we need massively more growth GDP growth than we're getting. You know, when we talk about negative GDP growth, we're shrinking, and we haven't had anything close to you know really big time growth for the last several decades. We need we need six, seven, eight percent growth versus the 
two or three percent that we've been growing uh, for a while. All right, I'll get off my. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate your insight there. Um, I did kind of want to circle back with okay we talked about this inflation reduction act and you kind of hit on some of the key points, including the pharmaceutical limitations, um, the price controls on those pharmaceuticals, and then thoughts on, okay, well, what's happening with taxpayer dollars going towards supporting energy. We talked about the corporate taxes and then the IRS reform. I don't know about you, but the only thing to me that seems like it's going to lower my cost to the user would maybe be the pharmaceuticals. I mean, how is this supposed to be presented as a inflation reduction act? And I'm, I'm doing air quotes. And yeah, then, and I agree with that. And those, how does this affect? air quotes are accurate. Um, yeah. There's another major part of this, and they're basically extending the Affordable Care Act subsidies, which to okay. me is another silly thing. Now, again, if you're on the, if you're on the Obamacare subsidies and though they were going to you know, expire, and therefore, you'd have to pay more for health insurance than you would under Obamacare or afford the Affordable Care Act, then your costs would be going up. So your inflation numbers are being controlled more because they're going to subsidize it on an ongoing basis. But what's interesting to me, and I, I know there's, there's, you know, we have clients who are listening to this right now who get the Affordable Care Act subsidies, and they also know they maybe don't deserve them, or they don't need them, or they don't, uh, you know, they, they're relatively well-off people mm -hmm. now as advisors we tell them hey here's the deal you know you yeah. should take advantage of this you know when we say um this is the lay of the land here's what the tax code is here's what the laws are we have to as fiduciaries tell them what the best advice is for them individually even if we or the client don't agree with that right yeah but but those uh, Affordable Care Act subsidies, to me, that's what's amazing. They're calling it another one of those names. You know, people labeled it Obamacare, but it was formally called the Affordable Care Act. And Obama yeah. promised we'd have cheaper health care. Yeah. Well, if, if that was going to be effective, why do we need to continue to have taxpayer subsidies? You know, if it was going to work, if our health care yeah. system was going to be more sound and better and, and cheaper, why do we have to continue to uh, subsidize it? And, and you know, those subsidies were scheduled to expire at the end of this year, but they're going to be extended again through 2025. And there's, you know, three or four million Americans who are on those subsidies. Um, and so for them, uh, their overall prices will stay lower for at least healthcare. But they don't realize when you squeeze one end of the balloon in, in, in any economy, you're going to have consequences somewhere else. You're going to have it pop out somewhere else. And so that's part of the thing. And I think your question, Taylor, is right, is that you know, most of these things sound like they're going to make life more expensive. And even the ones that are going to make life less expensive for some people are going to increase costs for overall and in the long run have have worse effects. I mean, uh, certainly in the healthcare area, we're going to have uh, likely because the incentives are going to be lower, likely less innovation and less you know, life saving, uh, pain reducing drug creation. Well, what are your thoughts on how this will impact our clients and um, especially our clients from an investment standpoint? Well, it is one of those things where you got to say, okay, what what then, what will be helped out even if it's um, not sound economic policy? Uh, and there was another bill, another subsidy bill. This isn't attached to the Inflation Reduction Act, but there was another subsidization of uh, chip manufacturers. Uh, uh, Semiconductors are now being uh, subsidized. We're wanting to bring more of our uh, technology and chip manufacturing back over to the U.S. manufactured here, 
and so they're going to you know they're subsidizing companies like Intel and things like that. So so then you say, well, okay, maybe we need to uh, invest in companies that will benefit uh, at least in the short term from that kind of subsidy, and and that does uh, affect lots of investors' allocation of capital. The hard part is, you know, we're going to have an election here in a few months, and then we're going to have an election two years later, and if we make all of our decisions based upon well. Who's in office and what kind of game are they playing? Who are they going to subsidize? Who are they going to, which winner and loser are they going to pick? Then it becomes more difficult to actually allocate capital. And that's, that's a difficult thing. And that's why clients uh, pay us to try to try to make the most sense of the markets that way. Um, but th- the key thing to remember for most people, uh, I think it's, it's kind of games playing. I mean, uh, nobody really believes this act is going to reduce inflation. You know, that's delusional. Okay. Um, inflation itself is a monetary phenomenon. As, as Milton Friedman uh, made famous, you know, it's always and everywhere a money printing problem. Um, and this bill is actually printing more money. So the likelihood is it's going to make inflation worse. And, and this is verified by the Penn-Wharton budget model. The University of Pennsylvania and, and Wharton is hardly a right-wing conservative think tank. You know, they're, they're not uh, uh, at all on that side of the political spectrum, I don't think they have any real incentive to support uh, alarmists like me about inflation. Um, but they're saying it's, you know, it's, it's really not going to have, uh, they have very low confidence that this legislation is going to bring inflation down. So the only thing that's going to solve inflation is, you know, higher interest rates or, you know, more directly pulling some of the money and the subsidies out of the economy. And that's what the Fed has got to do. And they're, they're going to probably continue to do it. Uh, we'll see blips one way or the other, but uh, that's the bottom line: is we're likely to see increased costs for for months or even years to come. Okay. So, in a nutshell, as far as how it's going to affect uh, clients, yeah, they're going to see increased costs, and it will uh, taint or point our portfolios to continue to be uh, more on things that have pricing power and some inflation protection. We've talked about that before. Commodities, energy, food prices—you know, maybe more agricultural products in their portfolios. Uh, we touched on semiconductors. Um, again, none of this is investment advice, but we are tilting our portfolios to continue to have that that protection against uh, higher costs and higher inflation. And now might actually be a good time to say, if you are listening to our podcast and you're a client or a friend of a client or just a fellow listener. Um, we are doing a virtual workshop in October. Mike, do you want to share a little bit about it and maybe invite our listeners if they want to tune into it? Yeah. The, before we close out, Taylor, I think we should mention that um, we are having, and, and we don't shy away from controversy. Uh, all of our clients know this. Um, we have clients all over the map and I have a tendency to tick them off all at one point or another. And we have a virtual workshop coming up. We typically do this in an election year. We try to put together a a, uh, uh, a panel representing lots of uh, political views. So we have we have a, a, an expert uh, who I have a lot of respect for. He's on the left. I disagree with him a lot. And then we have uh, some experts on the right who I disagree a lot with. And and sort of in the middle, we have some uh, some really interesting people who are well known here in Colorado, political commentators, experts in the political field to give us their view on how the election is going to go uh, this fall and uh, how, how it will go, how it might affect things, uh, both on a uh, state and local level, but also on a national level. So 
if you're a client listening to this, if you're uh, just someone who's picked up the podcast, uh, look for our invitation. I think our, our virtual workshop is October 18th. And w- look for that invitation and feel free to invite uh, friends. It's going to be virtual, so we have plenty of space <laughs> in, in our virtual reality, uh, plenty of space, and, and we're looking forward to having a good workshop. I'll, I'll be updating our, our market commentary, but the big show, the big part of it, the big attraction will be the panel that I'll be uh, having make commentary about the election. Yeah, I do want to kind of close things up, but I want to make sure we add it in that we do have a virtual workshop since it's kind of relative and related to what we're discussing today. So thank you all for listening to our podcast. We do invite you to follow, like, friend, subscribe to us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. All of our platforms are saved as one word. That's Altius Financial, A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. You'll see our little logo with the pillar on there. If you are interested in any kind of financial planning advice, if you have any questions for us, comments, or thoughts on maybe different podcast episodes that we could have coming up, please feel free to reach out to us directly. My email is taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at altiusfinancial.com. And Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Michael at altiusfinancial.com. Yeah, we're, we're happy people join us and listening to us and looking forward to uh, talking to you in the future. Have a great Friday. Capitalize on your Friday and your weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining. 